You're listening to Commissioning Conversations, the podcast brought to you by Broadcast Intelligence. Hi, and welcome to Commissioning Conversations. I'm Heather Fallon. And I'm Alice Redman. And we are both reporters and researchers for the Commissioner Index. This week, we'll be discussing international commissioning. And why producers should be starting to look around the world for co-productions. I also spoke to Sam Linton and Alison Barat from Blue Ant Canada about the opportunities that they have for producers. So listen up for the opportunity to travel around the world with us without a mask and hand sanitizer. Sounds dreamy. So hi Heather. Hi Alice. This is a very exciting episode for both of us as the thing we have both been working on since December is finally coming to light and being released out into the world. I know we've expanded our lovely commissioner index with all these shiny new international commissioners. It's so exciting and it's a really great step for not only the commissioner index but also I think for the producers that are subscribed to us because I think it's a really exciting time for people who make television content and more to start to look around the world. Yeah I think expanding our index will hopefully really resonate with the whole production community so whether you're a big indie or a small indie there's huge expectations to create really ambitious high-scale content whether that's blue chip natural history programming or groundbreaking dramas and finding co-production partners can really help get that project over the line both budget wise and also just creating more of a global name for yourself which I think is particularly beneficial for smaller indies who are just trying to get like a broader reach around the world and might not necessarily be heading straight in with that huge Netflix commission off the bat. Exactly and I also think just Looking at the past year we've had, or probably now soon it'll be two years of feeling the effects from the pandemic, I think, you know, being able to take some funding from Channel 4 in the UK and France Televisions in France and all of these amazing producers of great content, being able to dip into their budgets and their expertise of their commissioners and their channels and also their cultures. I think is just going to be really beneficial and I think a global way of working really is where the industry is headed. Yeah and there's some financial incentives as well. I spoke to Screen Ireland recently about some of those incentives over in Ireland and it includes a 32% tax credit for television animation and film productions and that's been extended out into 2022 which is great news for people looking to work over in Ireland and there's also additional funding bodies like the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland, uh, Sound of Vision funding. There's a lot of opportunities there. And luckily for our subscribers on the index, we've interviewed the whole of Virgin Media Ireland and RTE. So it's plenty of opportunities there. Yeah, for sure. I found the same when I was interviewing commissioners from Canada. And I found out they have kind of a similar thing there. They have a body called Telefilm Canada that offer those that were looking to co-produce with Canadian producers and broadcasters the opportunity to get access to public funding and federal tax credits and 
helping in that kind of way and they also help with partnering people up with Canadian production companies who want to work with international producers so there's lots of help and financial incentives to working internationally and those go hand in hand really with with the cultural incentives. Mm. I think that ties in quite nicely with some of the exclusive interviews we have for podcast subscribers today. Yeah, so I spoke to both Alison Bratt, who is SVP Production and Development for Love Nature at Blue Ant, and also Sam Linton, who is VP of Original Content for all of Blue Ant's Canadian channels. And there are so many opportunities kind of across just both these two commissioners. So should we have a listen to my chat with Alison first and find out some more about Love Nature? My role is I'm Senior VP of Production and Development. So, you know, I oversee all commissioning for our global channel. Which really means that, you know, I look for projects, I help to find find them and, you know, I oversee the production from, from green light all the way to delivery as well. So we, you know, we are expanding and, you know, we do more hours each year, but I work with in our in-house production companies and our independent production companies. And that, that's, that's basically, that's basically what I do. And what, what are you looking for at the minute? What is your, what's your commissioning needs? Well, right now we are commissioning, we commission quite far out. So we're looking for projects that can deliver by the end of like 22, 23, mm. 24. Um, we try to commission quite far out because if you're looking for great natural history, you want to have enough time to get that seasonality, get the animal stories. So we, we're, right now we're commissioning there. We look for returnable series we look for limited series. We occasionally do one-off specials and we also do event level programming as well. So could you give me some examples of, kind of maybe some of your more important programs that really kind of encapsulate what Love Nature is about and what you kind of look for? So, yeah, I mean, just to try to talk through some of those. I mentioned that we do returnable series and those tend to be like character-led you know strongly story-driven and one one that we have right now that we're into season two of is Malawi Wildlife Rescue and that follows it's an all-female veterinary team in Malawi they're totally dedicated people and they work to rescue the animals treat them rehab them and then release them so it touches on things like the illegal wildlife trade confiscations poaching that kind of thing and and it's really heartwarming. This series, Malawi Wildlife Rescue, sort of encompasses how we like human characters. So whenever we have people in our shows, we want them to be sort of really legitimate, authentic, you know, passionate mm. animal lovers or veterinarians or, or scientists, experts. You know, that's sort of in opposition to looking for format-driven host-led shows. That's not quite so much what we want. At, at Love Nature, we're really all about the kind of the authenticity of both the people and the natural world. So, so Malawi Wildlife Rescue did really well for us season one we're now moving on to season two with it and we're excited to be working with the same characters that's with icon films and that was narrated by helen baxendale and i and i mentioned that because we do look sometimes to have named narrators in our shows that that really boosts mm. them we, we you know whenever you can find somebody oh again also like an authentic voice it's yeah good. so we are also currently in production with um on a one-hour event sort of event level special show yeah it's about osprey and that is a co-production with pbs nature in the u.s that film is 
just stunning. I, like I've looked at some of the footage from it and it's gorgeous. It's really lovely. And the cinematographer who filmed it has, I mean, he's just, you know, he lives for these birds. And so he is, you know, he's been filming for several years. This, the story is about one individual bird that just battles life right from the beginning, a real underdog story, a triumph of survival, all beautifully shot. And it's going to be lovely. So that's one that we're very excited about. In terms of limited series, so like usually for those, we look for two or three or four parts. Mm. Uh, we recently completed a trilogy with Mara Media, who are based in Glasgow, and that followed animal characters across their lives across the three parts of the trilogy. And I mean, the cinematography was wonderful it was all sub-arctic creatures so you have arctic fox sea otters caribou then all the birds that exist in that in that kind of sub-arctic region which is a little under you know we we sort of under publicized if you like yeah. you know we, we all we all know what lives at the arctic and then we all know what lives in those temperate zones but that, that sub-arctic area so we, we got like, you know, one-off behaviors that we'd never seen before. Um, and that was, that was narrated by um, Ewan McGregor. Um, and we did a co-production there with BBC Scotland and with Arte. And that is just such a lovely, harsh feeling. Like you watch that and you, <laughs> you think, whoa, what? tough lives these yeah. animals have. I mean, this is, this is why now I see why, um, we know that you know young animals die or such a percentage of animals don't survive to, to adulthood and so that that was really great we're very excited about that but it was limited it was a succinct three parts mm. um i'll give you just a couple more so we do tackle topics mm. and we like to try to do that in an honest and a you know straightforward way and we did we were, we did a show called after the wildfires that looked at the awful wildfire season in Australia in 2020. And the film wasn't just a sort of drama, everything's on fire, you know, it wasn't super yeah. dramatic like that. It included obviously that, but then it took a kind of long-term view of well, what does this mean? Like, what does the recovery look like? How, how do you recover from that? And so we, we worked with three different animal species there to sort of track a little bit their recovery and the people who work with them like absolutely dedicated people who are working to save working to save the fire victims and then beyond like working to save the ecosystem and to rebuild it and to say how do we cope if this is is this the new normal is this what we're always going to have or what does this mean for our planet so mm. we took uh, an individual event and, and you know extrapolated that into a kind of global global story so it was a you know that was a that's a tough topic topic but we like to meet those head-on and you know not not over dramatize them not underplay them just like this is this is what it is let's take a look at it and see how this works and then lastly a very different type of one-off special was a film that we made with the german company taglicht and that was um, a bee's diary which I really loved because, you know, we especially something like a bee, you look at these little social animals and you forget that they're all individuals. They, they have their own lives. And so to be able to pick one bee out of a hive and follow the story of that bee. Mm. So it was so lovely because 
each bee might fly out into the rain, but only one of them might get stranded or only one of them might not find shelter. So by taking a bee as an individual, it, re it really opened up the lives of all bees. It was also written in the first person. Um, so we had this first person narration. It was this lovely, super story of a bee's life. And it, it was just great. So I, I really liked that yeah, as well. That sounds amazing. Yeah. To make that work, I mean, I should say to make that work, the, the, the set building that went on, the invention of the cameras, like, you know, it was really a technical triumph mm. to do that. The team spent, you know, so long with, with specialty equipment to really see an, in, an individual bee. And it was great. That's a great interview. Love Nature is such a global brand and I expect there will be so many opportunities for our subscribers that are in Specialist Factual, Nature and Wildlife Programming. Yeah, for sure. It's just really exciting to see you to someone who's behind a lot of great nature content. And if you are elsewhere in Factual, then Sam Linton has you covered conveniently. Sam commissions for the Canadian channels Cottage Life, Mankful, Smithsonian Channel Canada and a channel called T&E. So she is covering a lot and looking for a lot of content. I spoke to her for ages, so we're just going <laughs> to include a snippet of her talking just about the channels T&E, Cottage Life and Makeful. And she said some really interesting things kind of in the middle of it, all about how she likes to work with formats, which I think formats are also a really interesting way to work on the international market. So obviously, you know, we didn't touch on a few of her other channels under her remit. However, her full profile is on the Commissioner Index if you are interested, and you can find that at broadcastintel.com. Well, I'm sure our listeners are very eager to hear what she has to say. And I know you said eight channels there, so I wondered if you could very quickly maybe give me an overview of each and kind of how they differ and what each channel is aiming for and some Absolutely. Examples. And they are niche channels. For the most part, I'm operating in the factual world. So the unscripted world um, really is where we make our living rather than the scripted side mm -hmm. of the business. So um, so let's go through them. So we have uh, one of our largest channels called T&E, which really is all about the paranormal and speaks to a paranormal audience. This is an audience that comes because they love to be scared. They love to be freaked out. They love the adrenaline rush of a scare and a really good ghost story. Um, and we've had a lot of success. Uh, very, they have a voracious appetite for this stuff and they want that they gobble it up. They want tons of shows that really um, scare them. They are believers. They believe in another realm. They believe something is out there. So they watch these shows to kind of reinforce that belief. So that's that audience. Very, very fun to work on that channel. Um, we've had a recent hit with a series called Hotel Paranormal, hosted by Dan Aykroyd, a, a famous Canadian who was at the core of the Ghostbusters brand. So that's been a really fun one to work on. We then, um, I'll now talk about Cottage Life as a brand. Uh, Cottage Life is a brand that speaks to an audience that loves the thrill of being outdoors and the adventure of getting away from it all. So how we do that on the TV side is by shows about survival, extreme weather, wildlife rescue, and mysteries. Recently, our audiences love mysteries. So we had a great success with a series called Life Below Zero Canada, which was a documentary series about people who live off the grid in northern parts of Canada. And uh, it was our top rated, most successful series ever uh, on the channel. Um, and that really speaks to this kind of 
survivalist fantasy that I think a lot of us have and is actually even more time uh, more timely right now <laughs> was that um, so, linked with the Nat Geo life below zero you got it so yeah. that was an interesting thing I'll just take a side step yeah. for a second what we did is we acquired life below zero the American version mm. onto our uh, and after we saw how our audiences loved it, we thought, you know what, maybe we should do a Canadian version of it. So we acquired the format rights from the BBC that owns the brand that is produced for Nat Geo US. Mm. Uh, and in partnership with them, produced it as a Canadian original series, which then we like to say, who owns the North, right? So <laughs> it was a perfect series to do for our channel. Interesting yeah. way of kind of working with a format as well. Yeah, you know, because our uh, because our channels are small and our audiences are niche, it really is the only way for us to work with a format. We're going to have to acquire it first, see if it can find an audience, and then if it does, build it up as a Canadian thing. We we don't have, unfortunately, the the resources uh, to just bite off a format right away. Even if mm. we see that it performed well around the world, we need we want to test it with our audiences. Which brings me to our channel Makeful. Uh, and that's exactly what we did recently with a wonderful uh, UK show. I don't know if you're familiar with the Landscape Artists of the Year. Oh, yeah. So that StoryLab does. And um, again, we acquired that. We did Landscape Artist of the Year and we acquired Portrait Artist of the Year from the UK. And um, wow, our audiences loved it. So we did our own version, Landscape Artist of the Year Canada, which basically challenged amateur artists to paint Canadian landscapes. So again, it just totally made sense. Uh, and this speaks to the reason our audiences love shows like that is they're, you know, a young millennial demographic of women that love to be creative and they watch the channel to inspire them and figure out ways that kind of like spark off their creativity. Um, it was interesting in the beginning, we wondered, okay, how, you know, do we want to offer shows about like project-based stuff like knitting or scrapbooking. Mm -hmm. We realized really quickly that this audience goes to YouTube for things like how to stitch uh, yeah. new stitch in knitting. But what they want to do on the TV side is really look at it as a general entertainment and something that pulls them into the excitement of the creative spirit. So we did Landscape Artist of the Year, as I mentioned. We also did a co-production with Netflix called Blown Away, which was extremely successful uh, for us and for Netflix. And that was a competition series about glass blowing, mm -hmm. uh, which was just this quirky, you know, craft that where the characters were great. What's better that when you fail with a glass blowing, it breaks, that couldn't be better television. <laughs> so that was really fun to work on. Yeah, so it was really lovely to learn from Alison about how she runs a brand that is truly international and to hear from Sam about running channels that are very Canadian and very niche in what they're looking for. Yeah, they seem like two two really, really great commissioners. Yeah, so obviously we didn't just limit ourselves to Ireland and Canada. We also covered an amazing range of countries. We have spoken to commissioners from France, from Finland, Australia, Spain, Italy, and you know, wherever there's a co-production opportunity, I think we might have sniffed out. So I'd like to know, Heather, like what are some of the interesting things you found out during your research into international commissioning and speaking to some international commissioners? I think probably the main thing I've learned, and I think you'd agree with me on this, during the process was just how keen commissioners are for co-productions 
So it's not just producers that are in need of co-financing. And the other thing that surprised me was just the sheer range of genres and subjects where the opportunities lie. So I think when you think of international co-productions, you often think of these huge budget projects like It's a Sin with Channel 4 and HBO Max or blue chip series like Perfect Planet with ZDF and the BBC but actually there's so much more space for smaller projects and factual series and entertainment shows that really surprised me going forward with this and I think there's a lot of room to grow new original ideas not just established IP and there's just a lot more opportunities for smaller indies than I realized. Mm, Yeah I definitely agree I think you know I think one of the most surprising things I found was when I was speaking to Alan Sim, who commissions for Elisa Vide via play in Finland, was that he was explaining to me that language is really less of a barrier. And I think across the board, I found that because I going into this thought, maybe, you know, we'll find the most opportunities with Canada and Australia and things like that, where, where it's, you know, English language territories. But it actually wasn't. And, you know, Alan gave the example of Man in Room 301, which was produced by Walter Wall and Warner Bros. Finland. And it was written by a UK writer and the Warner Bros. team in Finland then translated it then to be made for Elisa Vide. So, you know, language, less of a barrier. Yeah, I think programmes like The Killing way back in, I think it was 2007, really cleared some boundaries there in terms of language and just demonstrated that if it's a good show people will deal with the subtitles on the bottom of their screen if they're invested enough Mm. yeah we also have netflix to thank for their place in this you know the globalization of content is i think as much as people like to say Netflix is ruining certain aspects of linear television and things like that I think they are very responsible for this globalization of content which is also positive yes thank you Netflix for all (laughs) that you do for us (laughs) thank you Netflix for all of the binge watching and also the globalization of content (laughs) (laughs) it's the double-edged sword they've they've got me at my lowest point on the 20 millionth episode of The Office I've watched in the past six months and also at the highest discussing global content on a podcast exactly well I think that looks like a great place to wrap up I think it does (laughs) um so the commissioner index now lists over 50 commissioners from outside the UK and the US featuring channels such as those mentioned today and many more Yes, and if you're interested in coming on to the podcast to chat with us or want any more information about International CI, we would love to speak with you. So drop us a line at info at broadcastintel.com or one of us. Our email format is firstname.lastname at broadcastnow.co.uk. We'll be back soon with more, but until then, happy pitching. Happy pitching. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Commissioning Conversations. We'll be releasing new episodes every other week and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube and at broadcastintel.com.